or what the hell is line? Hold on. No, I it's, to, it's I need... pain feels different here. Pain feels different here. Pain is different here. Um, can be our tagline for the movies that we line spotter. Pain is different here. Welcome to Blind Spotters, a podcast about the movies we've actually seen. I'm Zach Pocklib. And I'm Amanda Luberto. Today we're doing things a little differently. Instead of a swap, we have a bonus episode going over our top five favorite movies of the year, plus a few fun extra categories. But first, we have our first guest. She's an avid movie watcher, a third member of our film group chat. Welcome to the show, Maya. Hello. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here can't wait to talk about all the movies we actually watched really quickly Maya to put you on the spot how would you define your movie taste if you could for the people just to get a sense oh man I mean I think that for the most part I just like want to have a good time and I tend to not want to think too hard most of the time when I'm watching movies um especially in the last two years where real life has been pretty intense I tend to gravitate towards um, movies that are either really silly or um, are like really heavy action movies because I think that there's nothing better to do when like you're feeling sad than just like watch a bunch of people like punch each other. (laughs) So that's that's been my taste these days. So just to get into it, 2021, again, like you said, uh, the second year of a crazy time in the world, but we got to go watch some more movies probably than in 2020. So Amanda, I want to ask you, what was movie watching like for you in 2021? So it was a continuation of a habit I had developed in 2020, which was my big New Year's resolution to stop watching as many movies I had already seen and start watching movies I hadn't seen before. So this year I watched 143 new movies, which for me feels like so much. I work two jobs. We got to go back out in the world. I was traveling. And in comparison, last year when we were all on lockdown, I only watched 109 movies that I hadn't seen. So I feel really proud of that. So that was a big aspect of my movie watching and returning to the theaters and being able to stay up to date on movies that were coming out. But also I really love going to like the latest showing on a Tuesday night of the most like popular movie that's out right now at like the theater that no one thinks to go to because like no one is there. I think when I saw Spider-Man, it was the only time I sat next to a person all year at the movies besides when Maya and I saw James Bond together, which is great. Like that's that's kind of how I wanted to go back to the movies was still pretty separate, but I would say like continuing to watch new movies and expand my Um, knowledge and then returning to the theaters would be my two defining things for 2021. Zach, you watched like almost a hundred more movies than I did. How is your 2021? (laughs) I watched 255 movies for the first time this year. Do you need like a sleep medication? (laughs) I mean... Like is that the problem? Are you just filling time? No, I need a discipline medication. Like okay. I am tired when I watch a lot of these movies. Sometimes I will start a movie at 1 a.m. and then fall asleep a little. Like, no, I'm falling asleep, so I'll pause it, take a quick little power nap on the couch, wake up, finish the movie, go to bed, catch like three hours of sleep, and then go to my day job. It's You're really crazy. Oh I got nothing for you. 
every time I've tried to do that, the power nap during a movie, I wake up and I'm like, what am I doing? And I just go to bed and I finish the movie the next day. That's because you guys have self-respect. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, movie watching, going back to the theaters, uh, to kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum from you, Amanda, I love going to like a early Sunday morning, Saturday morning showing where it's just me, probably some grandparents, another lonely soul, and just to catch that early time and then get some lunch after a movie, that's probably been my return to the movie theater experience. What I do appreciate is that Although we have not seen a movie together, Amanda, a podcast host, co-host, uh, we have both seen movies in theaters with Maya. I went to go see Eternals yeah. with her and our friend Bobby uh, when I was there in New York City, which is fun. But yeah, you know, just another uh, insane year of movie watching for me. My partner gave me the Criterion Collection subscription this year for Christmas. Incredible. And so I'm hoping the number is about the same because I want to be efficient in my movie watching, but mm-hmm. we'll see. Maya, what was 2021 like in movie watching for you? Yeah, I mean, echoing kind of what you guys said, it felt a little bit like a return to normal. Um, It was really exciting to go back to the movie theater. And I, too, love seeing movies alone. Um, But I also got to share movies with a lot of people. Like you said, Zach, I am the lucky person here who got to see a movie with each of you uh, this year. I also got to see uh, a movie with my sister. I got to see a movie with my mom. And also got, you know, saw plenty of movies um, by myself in New York, which is one of my favorite things to do. I like going usually kind of late on a Tuesday also. And then I like walking home in my closest movie theater or rather my favorite movie theater to go to is about a 30-ish minute walk home. So I like walk home and I I decompress and I really think about the movie or I throw on another movie podcast and hear what other people have to say about the movie. But that plus everything I've watched at home, I watched 145 movies in 2021 or rather 145 new to me movies. And last year I did exactly 100. So I'm excited to to keep that number, maybe climbing just a little bit every year. I realized this year that my goal was 150, which averages out to only three movies a week, which like seems pretty reasonable. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like I, you know, sometimes I was doing three movies a week and sometimes I wasn't and that's okay. It was, it was good to have movies and also have life kind of resume a little bit. I also just want to know, like Maya has like a very like high intensity job that like if she doesn't watch three <laughs> movies a week like that's absolutely fine she's <laughs> like, got yeah. a lot going on <laughs> look man there's a lot of content out there and we all have our sanity so you know obviously we watched a lot of movies this year what was everyone's first movie back to the theater because that was a big thing in 2021 my first movie back to the theater was a quiet place part two and Ooh. I pulled a Zach. I went on a Saturday morning at like like 11 a.m. I'll set the scene. It was my first farmer's market back. I returned nice. with our good friend, Brett Deckert, one for the bingo sheet. Amanda references a friend you don't all know. And we he was like, oh, what are you going to do? Like, you know, going to go home. I'm going to watch football. And I was like, I think I'm going to go see a movie. <laughs> He's like, wow. Yeah, you do that. What are you gonna see? And I was like, "A Quiet Place Part Two. <laughs> He's like, "It's a really odd choice, but like, okay." <laughs> I mean, as someone who in 2021 has really just started trying to watch scary movies and realize that I am not as scared as I think, a Saturday morning seems like the safest time to go see a scary movie. So I fully support that decision. And I knew it was a movie that if I didn't see it in the theater would lose a lot of its luster um, Mm -hmm. because you need like 
the hollowing absence of sound throughout most of the movie. And I saw part one in the theater and outside of the theater. And that was my biggest takeaway. So I knew if I like wanted to do the movie justice and people had said it had been like quite a good um, sequel. So I wanted to see it in the theater. Maya, what was your return? My first movie back in theaters was In the Heights, which I saw with my mom, um, which I think was also like a great first movie back because it's just like it's so bright and colorful and the whole movie is such a celebration of community and life music togetherness and it just felt really special to share that with other people in the theater for the first time um so I had an absolute blast seeing that in theaters and I spent most of 2021 uh staying at my parents house instead of in New York where I live and work so I got to see it at like the theater that I grew up going to, which was also really fun because that's forever my favorite movie theater, has the best popcorn, has kettle corn, which is not a normal thing at most movie theaters. Um, I was was still feeling a little cautious, like kept my mask on the whole movie and bought kettle corn on my way out and ate it in the car. But it was all in all like the best return to movie experience. I love buying popcorn for the road. That's a veteran move. road popcorn. Absolutely. So- uh, I remember uh, sharing exasperated thoughts like early in 2021 before I got vaccinated. Not really sure when I'd return to the movie theater. I was thinking maybe when Top Gun was supposed to come out in the summer or Dune. I was just being cautious. Yeah. I hadn't gotten my shots yet. I say all that to say the first movie I saw back in theaters was Cruella. <laughs> <laughs> was it worth it? It was a movie that existed. I, I felt like it was a good bookend. Like the last movie I saw in 2020 in theaters was Birds of Prey. Or the fantabulous yeah. emancipation of one Harley Quinn. So it was a nice like easing back into theaters, but obviously picked it up after that. Okay, so we're doing our top fives of 2021, but excluding any that were nominated for the previous Oscars. So that means we won't be having Minari or Judas and the Black Messiah in our top fives. We'll go five to one, but if there's any overlap, we'll kind of just adjust accordingly. So like if my number five is Amanda's number three, we'll probably wait to get to Amanda's third best movie. But if Amanda and Maya both share a movie that's ranked fifth and I might have it a little higher in my rankings, we might just get into it. It's a fluid situation. And then afterward, we're going to talk about some honorable mentions, favorite performances, biggest surprises, favorite scenes in movies we haven't seen but are eager to do so. So with that, let's get into it. With uh, We're going to start with Maya's number five, perhaps number one in all of our hearts and certainly number one in the 2021 box office. That is Spider-Man No Way Home. Maya. Absolutely. I mean, could there have been like a more anticipated movie of the year? I feel like everything that I was excited about all year, ultimately, like at the end of the tunnel was Spider-Man. I got to see it with my sister and her boyfriend when they were visiting. We went in the middle of the day on the Saturday, which I forgot is maybe not the best time to go to a movie theater because that's when, uh, <laughs> that's when all the children are there. Ah. Uh. Uh, That's when the high schoolers are there who can't be quiet during a movie. But all those distractions aside, we had so much fun. I will say, so for all of the exciting reveals that happened in this movie and all of the stuff that was spoiled ahead of time, I kind of didn't believe that any of that was really actually going to happen. So when it did, I was just losing my mind. I was sitting next to my sister and both of us just kept like hitting the other person in the shoulder she was sitting on the side of me where I had just gotten my booster. So she kept like jabbing where I got vaccinated <laughs> and like the pain was worth it because we were just so freaking excited the whole time. And like, I can't wait to watch it again and again and again and, and cry every time. 
Because that's the other thing that I didn't expect is how freaking sad that movie is. Walked out of the theater. My mask was like soaking wet. I was like, can't can't use this mask again. Must throw it in the garbage. (laughs) I think it's like everything you want out of a Marvel movie. It's funny. It's emotional. It connects to the larger scheme of things. And in this one has massive ramifications for the entirety of the MCU. But it was also intimate, um, personal. And the best Marvel movie I've seen in a long time. And like I said, the most fun I've had in the movie theaters in ages. Mm-hmm. What I also love, Maya, is that if I'm right, you haven't seen any of the non-MCU Spider-Man movies, right? No, I've seen I've seen the Andrew Garfield ones. Um, okay. I have, have a very deep love for those two movies, um, as flawed as they are. Um, but no, I've never seen the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films. So I do okay. I did go into this with a... A, a different maybe expectation and relationship to Spider-Man as a whole than other people have. Yeah. And we'll just say this at the top. This will be a like mostly spoiler free discussion of all these movies, but obviously that we know from the trailer, uh, this does harken back to the Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi trilogy of the Spider-Man movies. So I love that you still was able to get like all the emotional impact uh, and that Spider-Man No Way Home kind of is a love letter to whatever version of Spider-Man you may have encountered in the movie theaters. And it's certainly, I mean, I cried three times. Yeah, I think my cry count was around four or five. I think the thing that this movie did that I really want to reward it for is it did fan service for sure, but not, not at the behest of the plot. Like there are some movies we've seen recently where there's so much fan service or there's unnecessary fan service there was a lot of this at the end of game of thrones that was a big problem where the story didn't make any sense anymore and they were just like throwing in things like that they had seen on the internet and i can't write a tv show nor a movie nor a hit tv show nor a hit movie so like who the hell am i to say but i think that this movie did a really good job one of the best jobs i've seen in a really long time of giving the people what they want without um giving up the integrity of the movie, which I thought was really, really hard to do and really notable. Definitely one of the better MCU entries. Top tier for sure. I'm not sure where it ranks in that, but that's a whole different podcast. Um, But Spider-Man No Way Home, they did it. They freaking did it. Uh, Let's move on to Amanda's number five, which I think is probably on the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to uh, (laughs) people who have seen it, because I've never even heard of this movie. Amanda, what's your number five? Yeah, so this is um, a documentary called Set, and it's I found it. It's streaming on Discover Plus. So it is out there in the world for the people to see. <laughs> <laughs> I had to track it down. But it's a movie that I got to see at the Phoenix Film Festival this year. This was my first time being invited. It was very exciting. Um, and I had no expectations going to this movie. I went with a couple of friends who are um, film critics in Arizona. And they had said that they had heard a lot of hype about it. And I was like, Sure, like I don't, I have a free ticket, like I might as well go. And it's a movie about competitive table setting. And it sounds ridiculous, but it's like at the county fairs, they do competitive table setting. And in a documentary where the topic is so obscure or mundane, you need characters. And by God, did they find characters? The it's incredible. It's I think it's only like 90-ish minutes. It's worth finding if you have Discovery Plus. 
I laughed. The whole theater laughed along through the whole movie when the person who was awarded the winnings won. Like, people cheered. I love a documentary where it doesn't matter if I don't know anything about the topic because, like, the movie is so well made and the people are so invested that you really want to see what happens next. So that is my number five movie of the year is set a documentary about competitive table setting. When I saw set in the outline, my guess was that it was about volleyball. <laughs> I was like, that, that's that's something that uses the word set. <laughs> yeah. Um, could not have anticipated that this was about professional table setting. I cannot wait to check it out. I couldn't have either. And the people who were suggesting it to me, they were like, trust me. Like we've seen it before. You have to see it. I was really impressed and I'm glad that it got picked up. Uh, you know, not every movie at the film festival did. And I'm excited that set will live on Discovery Plus so that people can maybe discover it. Wow. Incredible pull from you. I love that. Uh, and I have no words. I just have to go see that movie now. So so we'll go to my number five, which has probably been seen just a little bit more than set, but barely. It's called Nine Days, directed by Edson Oda. This was kind of the Sundance darling of 2020, and obviously its wide release was uh, pushed back due to the pandemic. But honestly, this is a movie that I was pretty cold on when I first watched it. It's very methodical and slow and sparse, but in the ensuing few months, I kept thinking about it, kept thinking about it, particularly about Winston Duke, who is at the center of the movie and his performance. So I was like, you know what? As we started to think about these lists, I was like, all right, let's give it another one. And on second watch, it really opened up to me. It's a movie that's kind of about Winston Duke plays this arbiter where he kind of decides which potential souls will get to be born onto Earth. And it's less like sci-fi than it is like spiritual fiction in a way and it's an interesting concept but the way they go about it it's not so much about answering questions about life so much as just posing them openly and again uh, Winston Duke who plays this main character gets to really flex all of his like unique stoicism uh, he gets to tap into like that aggressiveness that made him such a fun character when he showed up in Black Panther as M'Baku. And this is such a switch up from that. Zazie Bates also shows up in the movie and she plays this kind of injection of warmth and really tilts the movie on its axis. It's one that you just keep thinking about it. The score is beautiful. And the last scene of the movie is one of my favorite scenes of the year, if not my favorite scene of the year. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but I just will say it's very cathartic and beautiful and those usually are like throwaway words for generic things about movies but it's genuinely uh, one of those movie moments where you're like wow uh, put Winston Duke in everything it's going to be he's going to have one of the most underrated or under discussed performances of the year just based on not a lot of people getting to see this movie but uh, would recommend and it's 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 beautifully reflective in all the good ways is it streaming somewhere uh, it's available to rent um okay for like three, three, four bucks or something like that on insert streaming service. But um, I'm assuming at some point it's going to get picked up and probably have like a Tumblr gift set, like rebirth in a few years. I think it's cool that a movie that you felt lukewarm about the first time, um, but then you were like willing to give it a second chance, then actually made its way all the way up to number five on your list of, you know, over like 200 movies that you watched this year. I think that, <laughs> That says a lot about this film and also like says a lot about like the value of like giving things a second chance and keeping an open mind and like really wanting to take the time to like think about what you actually watched and really like let yourself feel it. 
Yeah, and and again, it was literally just because I was like, you know, Winston Duke was really awesome in this movie. It is a, a wonderfully shot movie too. I think they filmed it on the Bonneville Salt Flats, just mm-hmm. to kind of give an idea of how bare the environment is around the movie. Um, so if you guys have like 110 minutes, go check it out. I guess I could just say two hours. <laughs> That's my petition for the future of movies is to quit it with the minutes. I can't add. Just tell me a movie <laughs> is X amount of hours and X amount of minutes. Continue. Moving on to our number four is mine, Amanda. You actually share your number four. So um, Amanda, why don't you get up, uh, start open with that? Yeah. So this was a highly anticipated movie. Um, of this year, it features a performance that people are are saying is nearly a shoe in to win Best Actor, and that's going to be King Richard, the Richard Williams story more specifically. You know, we haven't seen Will Smith be capital W, capital S, Will Smith, the movie star, in kind of a while, and I didn't know a lot about the. Uh, Williams sisters. I actually knew a lot less than I thought. And I texted Maya throughout almost the entire movie. And I was like, did you know that X, Y, and Z? And she was like, yeah, I did. <laughs> I was like, I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> and it really is a, a, a testament of his acting and the settings and taking uh, a story that you think you know and sort of making it what it really is. Maya, what did you love about King Richard? So unlike Amanda, I am a pretty big tennis fan. That's actually like the only sport that I grew up watching. So my whole life um, has been watching Venus and Serena play tennis. Um, But I'm definitely, you know, a little young to know or remember what their, you know, them coming up was actually like and to have any relationship with their dad because their dad pretty famously these days he doesn't come to their matches he doesn't um want to watch in person um so i had also had no relationship to richard williams and so it was so fun to learn so much more about these two women that i've just grown up admiring for so long um and i mean ultimately like at its core this is like a really good biopic and it's a really good sports movie Mm-hmm. Like I cried at the end, it, mm-hmm. you know, all the things that you kind of expect and hope for and want out of like a sports movie all happen. You have all those emotional beats. You have stellar performances, not just from Will Smith, but from everybody. I think um, all of the actors playing the rest of the family, his wife, the girls were just incredible. They were so captivating. They were so engaging. And there's also really good tennis in this movie. It was just like from start to finish, like exactly what I wanted out of a movie like this. And also was one that I got to watch with my parents who are also big tennis fans and are the people who got me into tennis. So it was a fun family experience, both to watch a family, be a family on screen, and then to share that with my own family. Yeah. And like you said, Amaya, I think it's such a rock solid sports movie. And we don't get a ton of those these days because the formula is so set. I was encouraged that the the Williams sisters, you know, were in support of this movie. So the girls who played Venus and Serena, um, Sanaya Sidney and Demi Singleton, they're awesome because if they don't, you know, carry the weight and they don't get a lot to do with it, like, and they're playing opposite of Will Smith. So obviously that helps, but um, they're so rock solid in their performances as 14, 15 year old Serena and Venus. And that role can go wrong so many different ways and so many different times. And you can tell that there's just a lot of, a lot of love for this story and for the themes of the Williams family 
Um, also a great just like 15, 20 minutes for John Bernthal. I was really impressed. It was a movie that I went into a little nervous that it was overhyped and that people were too excited for Will Smith to return back to a I mean, it is a based on true story, so it's not completely original, but a non-IP film. And every movie on my top five was a movie that really blew away my expectations of the movies. I think that's kind of why they've stuck with me. And uh, yeah, without the impressive performances from all of the actors around Will Smith, the movie doesn't hold up and they really set it all together. And like you said, the, the tennis was great. I love a sports movie with really good isolated sports sounds. Like, I think that's a very important part of a sports movie. And like the big tennis match toward the end, there's like excellent whacks in throughout the movie. And like that just, oh, chills every time. I love that part of a sports movie. So they did that. That was good. From an, from an audio girl's perspective, I was like, yes. I was going to say, can you tell Amanda produces podcast? <laughs> can you tell I work in the audio industry? <laughs> okay, so uh, my number four is Amanda's number three and Maya's number one. So I want to hold it to the end because um, I think we can just yeah. do it up correctly back there. So we're going to bounce back to Maya. Your number three is a movie that I've only seen memes of and I want to know more about it. So what is your number three? So my number three is Annette, which <laughs> if you don't know, is a it's an Adam Driver uh, movie about him and his relationship with his child. And the child is portrayed by a, a doll um, throughout the entire film. So you, you, you spend a lot of time in this movie with a bunch of humans and they're interacting with a doll as if she's human. Also worth noting, the film is a musical, so also everybody is singing, including the doll. <laughs> um, it's one of the most absurd things I've ever seen, and I just loved every minute of it. I was talking to Amanda about this actually like uh, like a month or so ago, about how just quickly I like bought into exactly what, what they were doing there, and I loved how weird it was the whole way through. And I'm not always someone who loves how like when I'm not always someone who responds well when people are kind of purposefully choosing to do something that's like kind of off kilter that doesn't always work for me but this movie really did it really stuck with me and it just like makes me laugh when I think about it um but honestly I mean it deals with some pretty serious stuff it has some really dark undertones um at the end like you're it's a classic musical in that it's got the light and funny it's got the dark it's got the emotion and it was just like a a truly hilarious role to watch him play and he was still so good at it he's just so good <laughs> at like everything he does including singing to a doll who's his daughter and you believe it or i believed it and i just really had a blast with annette so i think if you are interested in seeing something it's a little weird it's a little out there go in with an open mind and i think that you will have a really great time so on the contrary i saw this movie on a second date and i <laughs> <laughs> i forgot that part of uh, your viewing experience with annette at like 10 in the morning on a sunday <laughs> and i didn't know that the 
child wasn't a human child um, until the movie was until it was happening. And it was very concerning (laughs) throughout the whole experience. But what a year for the Sparks Brothers. They had a big documentary come out about them. They wrote all the music for this uh, musical. So the music is like kind of funky and different and it's very Sparks Brothers. It's very French movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like Maya said, there's there's tragedy and there's joy and it is a musical and that's what happens in the theater. And uh, it's very odd, but if you want to watch Adam Driver sing while going down on someone, we have a movie for you. Like that's pretty remarkable that that just like played in theaters. <laughs> It's definitely, um, speaking of like times to see movies, it's, I think definitely like a, it's an evening time movie. You need a glass of wine in your hand. Yeah. To like leave to like daylight was jarring. Um, but I, it definitely is like props to any movie that can go for it, especially right now. And they, they just went for it and I respect that. So I'm glad you put it on your list. I was happy to see it. I think from start to finish, it's truly, it's original. Everything about it is original and it's not like anything I've ever seen before. And like you said, that's, that's not as common these days. So it was just fun to experience something so wildly different. This continues to be an Adam Driver podcast. Mm -hmm. He continues to be our greatest living actor under 40, probably. Um, I have more to and... say about him later. Don't worry. We're not. <laughs> okay. That, when do we not? Um... <laughs> well, Zach, your next movie was one that I debated so hard putting on my list or not putting on my list. And I feel so bad. It's not. It's in my honorable mentions, but let's talk about it. What is your number three movie of 2021? My number three is Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog, her first feature film in 12 years, starring uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst. Kind of like her, uh, like a meditation on masculinity and self-myth-making. It's a very intoxicating movie. Cumberbatch is like this really domineering, charismatic lead cowboy. His character's name is Phil Burbank. And Jesse Plemons plays his younger brother, who he kind of torments in a loving way. But then uh, Plemons' character marries Kirsten Dunst and and her son come to live at the house, played by Cody Smith-McPhee, and kind of the dynamics shift from there. It's very suspenseful and tortuous and kind of does a little bit better um, of a job at creating that feeling of being trapped in an area than, like, say, Spencer did this year. And the way that Campion films, like, the landscapes of what is supposed to be 1920s Wyoming, but is actually filmed in New Zealand, um, and kind of contrast that with the bodies that are involved in the movie and the objects that are involved in the movie and how that kind of creates this like intimate, but like, I'm not supposed to look at this, but I am looking at it. Tension is super sick. Um, there's a scene that also has uh, like a dueling piano banjo moment. And I don't know how Campion and Cumberbatch made banjo playing so menacing, but it worked. And just those, yeah, those intimate moments juxtaposed with the with the landscape of Montana. It's super striking. I really hope Campion wins Best Director at the Oscars this year. It's on Netflix. I don't know how many people are going to watch it, but I think you should. It's one of the rare movies that's backloaded with the plot. Like it, this movie unfolds and unfolds and unfolds and doesn't really pay off until maybe the last 30 minutes. But those last 30 minutes rip. I am a huge Kirsten Dunst fan, and it was amazing to see her come back to the screen. Um 
I watched a really good interview with her where she said that she never really necessarily retired from acting, but she hadn't read anything recently that felt worth coming back to the screen until she read Power of the Dog. I don't know if Jesse Plemons had any inspiration in that, that is notably her husband, both in the movie and in real life um, or anything, but I know she works really well with um, female directors and has always in been inspired by Jane Campion, but she talks actually in this interview that I was listening to about that scene with Benedict Cumberbatch that they had not seen each other on set throughout the entire movie until they go to do that scene. And she was like, I was so afraid of him throughout all of filming. And like, I couldn't look at him in the eye after we finished because he's so good at what he does and what he's doing in that moment is like belittling her and being very intense without saying much and she's like I had that was the first time I had ever met him was like when we started that scene and it was I was so afraid of him <laughs> through the rest of of filming and that just like I, I'm sure they've worked it out but like that is like a great testament to like how good that scene is and how intense it is and it really was just like three of our best current actors at their best. This movie was so good. I'm glad you put it on your list. I'm sorry I was a coward and I didn't put it on my list. No, it's okay. It's okay. There's a lot of content out there. further down um, for when we're planning on talking about biggest surprises because this was definitely, I, I didn't know what to expect going into this movie. And I will say as someone who loves Benedict Cumberbatch very much, I think that he's really bad at American accents. Hmm. Um, in in Spider-Man and also kind of this. And I was really impressed with his ability to still be so effective in his performance that it I'm like very quickly forgot about how my brain likes to pick apart uh, when he speaks with an American accent. And instead I was fully in it and I was just as scared of him. I was so stressed the whole movie, just like waiting for something like big and massive and terrifying to happen because it felt like you're building to that the whole time and instead nothing big ever happens and it was all the more powerful for being like this low level of like surface tension the whole time it was like like a pot was simmering the whole way through and the movie ended and I just like exhaled and then I was like whoa it was just like I was blown away by it. Um, I think the only reason it didn't make it on my list was because I was so stressed. And like I said at the top, I do like to have a good time. But it really was an incredible movie, like visually, the performances, all of it. I, it was stunning. Just want to make some ropes uh, <laughs> with that. Um, we're going to move on to another potential Oscars contender and Amanda's number two. So Amanda, what is your number two movie of 2021? So like I said, the movies that ended up making my top five were kind of the movies that I had either no expectations for or low expectations for and really just blew me away. And maybe that puts movies I was highly anticipating at sort of a disadvantage, but I was very team, we do not need a new West Side Story. West Side Story is a perfect production it is a stunning movie as proven by both uh, history and the Oscars. And I was really nervous. And why the fuck did I ever question King Stephen? 
so good. <laughs> this movie was so good. In the first scene, there's so much like, I am the king of Hollywood. This is how you make a motherfucking movie. Like, camera shots action. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, we're doing this. We're doing this. We're really doing this. This is for real. This is happening. And so much of this story is dependent on the dancing. It is a mesmerizing performance to see on, on stage because the dancing is just so incredible and it was brilliant of the casting department to just be like every newsie who has been on broadway in the last five years you're coming with me to me that's honestly you can dub in some singing if if it's necessary you can't fix the dancing and they did it it was so impressive they put in a few modernizations that didn't make it over the top and you know they focused the movie a little bit more on gentrification and these uh, immigration tensions. And there was some, you know, unfortunately, things we hear today that were said to the Puerto Ricans in this movie that made it a little bit more rooted in the 21st century than the original production or than the original movie. And I thought that there were enough of them to make that happen, but not too much that it felt like they were trying to like in this essay, I will. And I would say that Ansel Elgort sang well enough. You know, it wasn't horrific. It wasn't, you know, the Les Mis issue that we had with Javert and Rachel Ziegler can fucking sing. Like she's so good. I wept like a child who had never heard music before when the two of them sang Tonight Tonight. And <laughs> I've listened to that song maybe 3,000 times in my life. Like, I know all the beats. I know. And I just, I cried the whole time. Again, just not having any expectations going in. Actually having really low expectations. Hearing that it's better than we thought it was, but still being pretty guarded and going in and just being like, oh my God, movie musicals. Like I cried at all the right parts. Like, of course, when they, you know, Stephen Somheim, when they do a, a music is by, cried then too. Like they they just did a good job. And I hope more people see it. Um, I think when it comes to a streamer, a lot more people are gonna see it. I feel it having like a real revival in about three to four months. But um, if you're on the fence, go see it. That's my advice. 2021 was one heck of a year for musicals. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda had a busy year. He was involved with three movies. Very busy um, but year. Steven Spielberg, that guy knows how to make movies. Tony Kushner, that guy know, knows how to write some screenplays and stage plays. Maya and I haven't had a chance to watch that movie yet, but that movie is obviously in the running for a lot of awards, including Best Picture. When Spielberg puts his full weights behind a movie, uh, we see what, what can be done. Let's kind of shift to Maya's number two, which is also a musical. Um, so Maya, why don't you tell us about your number two? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like this movie is kind of really speaks in concert with West Side Story. I feel like there's a lot of overlap. Um, uh, my number two is Tick, Tick, Boom, which is a Andrew Garfield movie, Lin-Manuel Miranda's directorial debut, um, all about the life of Jonathan Larson, who is most famous for writing Rent, which is one of my all-time favorite musicals. Um, Tick, Tick, Boom is definitely a movie that was just made for people like me. Um, I, I think I, I tick, no pun intended, all the boxes. Um, I was a theater kid. I 
have a really personal relationship to a lot of the songs in Tick, Tick, Boom um, from my early theater days. I love Andrew Garfield. I think that we're maybe a little oversaturated with Lin-Manuel Miranda these days, but ultimately I am a fan of his work. And I think that this was the most interesting thing he has done as someone who watched all three movies that he was involved in this year. I think this was by far the most interesting thing he did. Um, and I'm really excited to see what else he does as a director moving forward. But this film was a really beautiful homage to a person who is so responsible for modern musical theater. I think we wouldn't have any of the shows that people love and revere so much if we didn't have Jonathan Larson and we didn't have Rent. Tick, Tick, Boom is a show that he wrote before he wrote Rent, and it's about his struggles with aging and where he thinks he should be at his career and his life and how that factors into his relationships, both romantic and personal. And it really hit home for me as someone who's on the eve of a birthday, um, as someone who spends a lot of time wondering if I'm where I should be in my career and if I'm where I should be in my romantic and personal relationships. It just really, it hit all those boxes. And I think Andrew Garfield gave an absolutely stellar performance. He can sing, who knew? Uh, he can dance, he can do a really great American accent. <laughs> I think he was absolutely stellar in it. And it just, it, it's a musical that really stuck with me. I've never seen it performed live, um, but I think the way that Lynn told the story on screen was really beautiful and was such a touching tribute to musical theater, including Stephen Sondheim. There's an incredible voicemail from him um, at the very end of the movie and the film came out maybe a week before he died, which made it all the more poignant, touching. Um, and it, it was just a really special one to me. And I have really ended up on the like tick, tick, boom, Andrew Garfield corner of TikTok. So it's just like constantly in my head at all times. And I think that's partially maybe why it made it as high as number two on my list, because I, I think I think about that movie more than almost any other movie this year, because it's just, it's my corner of pop culture. The only thing I have to add is just a shout out to Vanessa Hudgens, who continuously proves that she's like one of our modern musical greats that I'm not sure why she's not in just like every musical we make and uh to Robin de Jesus who is a musical theater legend and was in this movie and was incredible Andrew Garfield notably learned how to sing for this movie and did it <laughs> so that's very impressive I co-sign everything Maya said and then just those two other actors I thought really were people I've thought a lot about their performances in that movie as well. I watched um, High School Musical again um, on New Year's Day um, because famously great New Year's movie. And it was really fun to like go that full circle of seeing like the first big Vanessa Hudgens movie performance so soon after watching her most recent one, both in musicals and really seeing how far she she's come. And like you said, I think she's a really underappreciated and undervalued musical theater actor um and she's just she's really good at it and i think she gave such an incredible performance in tick tick boom because it was very subtle it was very understated and mainly it was just about letting her voice shine and she does actually have a really great voice andrew garfield just continues to be one of our more interesting actors i love the swings he continues to make and um, how much he just 
genuinely seems to enjoy the work he's done um and the way he was talking about this movie and like really holding his breath about other movies he was in this year uh was one of my favorite performances of 2021 um but tick tick boom rock solid really enjoyed it my number two is a movie that also appreciates audio in a different way and that is come on come on mike mills uh written and directed drama uh starring joaquin phoenix about well, it's another movie in the Mike Mills canon of It Takes a Village to Raise a Child. I think this movie is like a compassionate, grounded look at raising a child and what it's like to raise one that's not your own. I like this version of Joaquin Phoenix so much more than maybe the one we get in The Joker or even the version we get in The Master. Woody Norman, who is British, gives one of the best child actor performances in recent memory considering the weight of the role and it honestly a lot of the movie is just him and Joaquin Phoenix going back and forth and it is a real back and forth Joaquin Phoenix plays um Woody Norman's uncle in the movie and he's helping his sister uh raise raise the child the sister's played by Gabby Hoffman who also is really strong in this movie and this movie features a lot of interviews with kids young people giving their insight into like what they think the world is going to be like and um kind of imbues the movie with a lot of this like cautious optimism but also childlike view of the world in not like a pretentious way but in like a earnest type of look at it um i love the score in this movie it's aaron and bryce desner it's a lot of woodwinds and it kind of adds this like heady heft to a lot of the quiet moments in the movie um you'll absolutely shed a few tears i did but it's not like out of sorrow it's out of just like it's like this emotional hug type of a movie um just one of the warmer movies i've seen in in some time especially i guess post 2015 16 times like it's a very warm enduring movie this was the other movie that i feel immense guilt about not putting on my top five (laughs) and had you not put it in your top five i i would have booted something else just to have the opportunity to talk about it it has been like one of the best experiences i've had this year is seeing this movie i famously I'm a podcaster, so a movie about a podcaster obviously spoke to me. Um, a few things that I actually talked to one of our friends, uh, Cam Neely, about was that I love the subtle difference when you can tell the audio is going from the audio of the movie to the audio of the kids' headphones. And it is so subtle, but it is what you hear when you record audio. It is spatially different. And I thought they did a really excellent job of that. Obviously, a a soft spot in my heart that they use that as a way to like get into the relationship between the two of them that they sort of bonded over that. But it is so much more than just like uncle who doesn't know what he's doing, tries to raise kid who is has a lot of emotions. It is so deep. And I thought Gabby Hoffman honestly has one of the best performances of the year. It is an extremely subtle, but very emotional and very realistic and very raw performance. I doubt that she'll be um, recognized at the Oscars, but I think that, you know, watch it for her alone if you have a weird relationship to Joaquin Phoenix. But um, I think one of my favorite moments was when he was like, it feels really bad to yell at him. And she's like, yes, this is like, it happens every day. Like, I'm his mother. Like, I have to discipline him. It's not fun. And like, I'm not a mother. Probably won't be for a while if I ever will be. But the reality of like, you have to discipline your kid, but it 
they're your everything. It doesn't feel good ever. And in like such a short amount of sentences, she really made that emotion come through. Yeah. I also wanted to shout out Robbie Ryan. This movie is shot in black and white, but it really captures the different It goes to various different cities throughout the movie. And I think it captures the for lack of a better term, vibe of each city really wonderfully and, and distinctly. Uh, Maya, have you had a chance to see this movie yet? I haven't seen this one yet. I'm very excited to. Um, it's definitely, I think, my kind of movie. And after hearing you guys talk about it, I'm even more excited to, to check it out. With that, let's move on to another endearing movie. We're going to go, we're going to bounce to Amanda's number one because I really am, we're, we're saving Maya's number one for last. Um, yes. So we're going to bounce to Amanda's number one, a uh, really earnest, really endearing tearjerker of a movie. Uh, Amanda, what is your number one movie of 2021? I did not expect this at all, but my number one movie is Coda. It is a movie about um, a girl who is the only hearing person in her family. Um, her brother and her two parents are both deaf to partially deaf, and they predominantly use ASL, but she is full hearing. And she helps out on their fishing boat, and it's like their family business, and it's, it's a very intense thing. They're very blue collar. But she, throughout the movie, realizes that she can sing and loves to sing and sings in her choir. And of course, her family doesn't understand because they can't hear her and it's not a lucrative uh, situation like they're used to. And it's it is coming of age, but it is about, you know, just like a girl following her passions because it's her passions and how you know your parents come around and they support you in the end and the last like I don't know 25 minutes you just cry the whole time <laughs> I'm sure you can imagine what the ending of the movie is like uh it's not it's pretty it's predictable but so beautiful and I was noticing how much ASL I've seen in movies in the past couple of years how just like normal it's become to see ASL to a point where where this was a movie where I don't know, three out of the five main characters, three out of the six main characters use ASL the entire movie. Um, it's not hard to keep up with at all. And it doesn't feel like, oh, this is the thing we're doing for this movie. This is the the way we're going to represent like disabilities. It just like it is. And uh, they did a really excellent job of it. And the main actress, Amelia Jones, is an actor I had not seen before and Every character felt extremely lived in, extremely real. And there's a very touching like father-daughter experience towards the end. And it just is about following your dreams. But it's not corny at the same time. And it is also rooted in like the reality of you can't always follow your dreams because there's other shit going on. And I hope that this movie gets um, some attention I imagine the guy who plays the father, if anybody out of this movie will get a nomination, but this movie is really, really moving and solid. And it's a movie I saw on my couch and didn't really look at my phone the entire time, which I like have to do like four things at once. So I is a big testament to the movie that I was locked in even at home. And uh, I hope more people check it out as the nominations come out. I hope more people see Coda. It is one of the most genuine movies I've seen in a really long time. Maya, have you had a chance to watch Coda yet? 
Coda is another one I haven't seen yet. I almost watched it on New Year's Eve, which is when I watched The Power of the Dog. After watching The Power of the Dog, I thought that that might be a little too much emotion for me in one day, especially a day that I was already having emotional feelings about. Um, but Coda is very high on my list and I can't wait to check it out. Super fair. The actor who plays um, the father in the movie is Troy Kotzer. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but yeah, rock solid performance from him. Probably the most recognizable person people in this movie is Marley Matlin. She of West Wing fame of many other great roles. But yeah, like you said, Amanda, it's it's a genuine movie. You, I remember watching it and about midway through, I was like, oh, this is probably going to happen. And then it happened at the end and I still cried. Like it's not manipulative. It's not corny. It's it's just one of those movies where it reminds you if you have a heart or not, which has been a thing to remind yourself about the last two years. Yeah, I would just encourage people to watch this movie. It's it's so good. It, all the performances are strong. It's a simple movie. It's low stakes. If you're sick of, I don't know, blockbusters for whatever reason, like watch this movie. It's on Apple TV Plus. Um, would recommend. I love that it's your number one. You know, it's a good reminder to check in and see if you have a heart or not, but it also is, you know, a movie comes along every so often that reminds you, like, there are a lot of ways to experience music, and one of them is feeling and not hearing, and there is a lot of, like, feeling music in this movie. There's music throughout the movie that is disconnected to her choir um, and her singing. There is an excellent, perfect replication of what a high school choir director is like in this movie. I've had many choir directors that are just like this guy. And it just is, if you have a heart or if you have any experience with music, it is, it's, it's a movie for you. Yeah. It's fun. Like you said, Amanda, that these movies are coming out. Um, especially after last year, we had sound of metal, uh, which is more of a classic interpretation of, disabled characters at the center of it this is much more like just living life and a representation of that so that was pretty sweet would watch again a movie i can't wait to watch many times over the next few years and my number one of the year is licorice pizza written and directed by paul thomas anderson a love letter to the valley in the 70s um a love letter to summer crushes love letter to not knowing what the hell you're doing in your 20s relatable who would say that it's a goofy and heartfelt movie two super winning performances at its center from alana heim and cooper hoffman um obviously alana heim of heim fame and cooper hoffman uh, in his debut as well the son of the late philip seymour hoffman they have such such solid chemistry and deliver PTA's dialogue with the right amount of like warmth and skepticism that make this like odd whimsical connection super believable. Um, like you get the sense that Alana knows she's not really going to take uh, Gary Valentine seriously, but um, there's something kind of magnetic about the energy he creates. And I love in all PTA's movies that he always has two people at the center who enter each other's orbits that are not direct opposites, but are also and there's an intrigue there that lets them play and it kind of plays out over the course of the movie. So, you know, you have uh, Paul Nano and Daniel Day-Lewis in There Will Be Blood, or you have Vicky Crapes and Daniel Day-Lewis in Phantom Thread. And I think this movie is actually pretty close to Phantom Thread in the way it depicts like that central relationship. Uh, it's not as obviously romantic as Phantom Thread is, but I do think this is a nice next movie after Phantom Thread uh, came out. Probably not the best PTA, but it does feel like the movie which he's like the most certain in what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. Um, 
like he's in a real command of the way he wants to tell this story and um, these vignettes and these moments. Uh, it's a movie I immensely enjoyed watching and I can't wait to return to it again. So this is on my list of movies where I had so much anticipation for them that I am not sure if they, if I didn't like them as much as I was expecting, or if when you put a movie on the highest possible pedestal, like how are you, how is it ever going to reach? Um, the movie was very good. The central relationship reminds me almost of a combination of the relationship with um, Dana Day-Lewis in Phantom Thread, but also between Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix in The Master, where you're like, are is this like... And I am older than you, and so I am, like, guiding you, and I am helping you throughout the world, or are we in love sort of experience? There is still a lot of debate on if those two characters are romantically interested in each other or not, but I thought that there was a lot of PTA in this movie, which is awesome, because I love PTA. I love that uh, he's just like, I know every working actor in the Valley why don't I put them all in my movie? It's a movie that you're going to watch a second time and see all of the other people who, and all of the other stories that aren't Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman because they are so intoxicating to watch. They are so good. I'd also just like to shout out that the entire Haim family is in this movie playing Alana's family. When that scene, that first scene happened, I was like, oh my God, ah, it's all of them. This is incredible. What's your guys' relationship to the Heim sisters? Extremely high. I've been listening to the Heim sisters since like early college, maybe even high school. I was a little later to Heim, but got into them like kind of right at the end of college. And I have seen Heim with Amanda. Yes. Um, we had an incredible time there. I mean, I love their music. I also think they're really fun and engaging on social media. I think that even as they like continue to get bigger and bigger, they seem really like down to earth and real and are just like fun people to like, you want to be friends with them. Not to cultivate sibling rivalry, but like, can you power rank the Heim sisters? Like is Alana the greatest Heim? It depends on what you want. Well, so, so oh, is she her, the youngest? Yeah. Her nickname is literally baby Heim. It's like, baby Heim. That's like oh. her handle on social media. Um, but she's the baby. Um, Danielle is the lead singer and she's also like heavily featured on the most recent Vampire Weekend album and has done a lot of work with other artists. Esme is the oldest one. She's the firstborn and uh, she is the oldest. She's also the tallest. Um, and she is just like drop dead cool older sister. She also plays the bass and is like yeah. famous for her bass face when she is. Oh, love a bass it. face. Yeah. It's hard to rank them. They're all so fucking cool. I want to join their band. <laughs> okay, so that's Licorice Pizza. That's the Heim Sisters. Um, that's California. That's Crushes. Let's go to our final movie of our top fives. Maya's number one. Amanda's number three. My number four. Maya, what is your best movie of 2021? My number one movie of 2021 is Dune. You guys, Dune was so <laughs> freaking good. Like, inject the spice into my veins. Here is the mind killer, and I am not afraid. I saw Dune in theaters opening weekend with a friend and had such a good time that I went and saw it again in IMAX, my first IMAX movie in years, my first time like going multiple times in theaters to see a movie in years. 
I read the book right before I saw the film. And I just, I was just blown away from start to finish. As someone who loves sci-fi, I don't know why it took me this long in my life to come to Dune. We wouldn't have Star Wars or Star Trek or any of the science fiction that I love if Dune had never been written. And holy crap, what a movie. I just, Dune was perfectly cast. I think it was incredibly shot, um, beautifully directed. Denis Villeneuve is incredible. I want him to never stop making movies like this for me. (laughs) The score, the sound. I mean, talk about a movie that you need to see in theaters to truly, fully appreciate. My seat was shaking every time Jessica used the voice. I think the decisions that Villeneuve made in crafting this whole world were incredible and it was one of the best book to movie adaptations I think I've ever seen. I mean, I could just go, I can go on and on and on. I feel like you want, if you guys should like jump in and say something else, because I can just ramble for forever about how much I absolutely loved this movie. So Zach, in one of our earliest podcasts, you had listed this as your most anticipated movie of the year. So why, why Dune? I mean, let the spice flow. I mean, big fan of Frank Herbert's novel. What a hot take. Famously oft adapted and hard to adapt. And so Denis Villeneuve, like it's a passion project for him. And I'm not sure if there's a better filmmaker at filming and showing giant flying objects landing and taking off. There's something specifically grandiose about the scale that he can cultivate and the performances that he can like pull from his movie stars. So like we all love Arrival here and like this performances he gets out of Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner in that movie are like are grounded in the story but also like pull the best attributes out of them and i think the same thing happens here like the performance we get from jason momoa as duncan idaho is probably the best version of jason momoa since he played cal drogo timothy chalamet at the center of it is a perfect paul atreides uh, i can't wait for dune part two to come out because that's when paul gets to actually do stuff but even the bit parts with you know rebecca ferguson as lady jessica or javier bardem as stilgar like you were saying with like uh, licorice pizza just have these great actors show up for very small amounts of time i mean even zendaya she's stuck in like a perfume commercial for most of this movie and like she is is awesome when she gets to finally show up in the movie um it rips it's like the best version of ip and blockbuster um i totally get if people are like kind of put off by it because it makes no qualms about explaining a lot of things um but i do just love how this weird ass science movie, sci-fi movie, uh, kind of captured audiences, social media for a good chunk of time. Amanda, you haven't read the book. So yes. what was your journey with Dune? So I'm on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. We're about a year and a half ago, I think when the first teaser trailer came out, I had to make an executive decision right then and there. Read the book or don't read the book. And I was like, you know what? I got a lot going on. <laughs> Something that this podcast loves and supports is following along on Wikipedia with your phone if you are confused about a movie. And I feel like I understood everything that this movie needed to tell me. And to me, that's a massive testament to how well this movie was made, is that someone who has absolutely no experience with the plot can feel like they fully understood everything they needed to know to watch the movie. The audio is gripping. I want to feel 
things in my chest cavity <laughs> like when I see them in a theater and rarely do I get that experience and like they just did such a good job completely encapsulating you like I felt like I was in Dune <laughs> like I was in the Dunes I hope it wins all of the sound categories for the whole year because it really is one of the only movies this year that I was like oh yeah this is why we go see movies in theaters. Dude, <laughs> it's so good. It's probably the best example in recent memory of like why it's possible in, in the argument for adapting major IP or major stories as movies versus TV. Like it is possible to kind of capture the depth of a story within a movie. And I know this is going to be a multi-part story and he even might adapt the second book in a third part and make this a trilogy, but you don't get this kind of production design. You don't get this kind of resources or cast all the time in TV shows. And you do when it's a movie, you do whenever it's a movie maker like Denis Villeneuve. Um, so that's why Dune is great. It can be talked as a prestige movie. It can be talked as IP um, and the book nerds can get into it as well. So uh I know Maya and I certainly did uh, several times uh, while she read the book and watched the movie. So I'm, I love that this is your number one. It, it does feel like one of the tentpole movies of the year, really, like especially with Oscar movies can kind of be films that not a lot of people see or care about. Um, but Dune is one that people saw and did care about and um, potentially the most representative movie of the year. Yeah, when I was putting together my list, it just felt like it was the most obvious answer. I don't think. I've ever been so excited about something and so blown away by something. I just, I can't wait for part two. Yeah, they did the Dune. So uh, those are our top fives. Great job by us. All right. So we're going to move on to our honorable mentions. Like I said, we'll try to rip through these as fast as possible because I don't know, I assume you, if you're listening, you also have a life, but um, I don't. So an honorable mention I have is uh, The Green Knight, David Lowry's adaptation of like the King Arthur, Sir Gawain, Gawain, Garwin story. <laughs> Dev Patel probably gives one of the best performances at the center. Um, beautiful movie and a movie that I think I admired more than I enjoyed, but it's a movie that I think about a lot. And then another honorable mention is No Sudden Move. Steven Soderbergh does it again. It's a heist movie that I think is going to live like Logan Lucky where because it's not the Oceans movies, people are going to just blow by it. But in a few years, there's going to be a hive of people that'll be like, oh, No Sudden Move was good. Like was Soderbergh. Good. <laughs> he continues to be one of our great filmmakers. This movie is also extremely rewatchable if you've not revisited it. If you just yeah. like need something to put on while you're like folding laundry, like No Sudden Move rips. It's good. Uh, Maya, what are some other movies that were close but did not make the cut? Uh, my two honorable mentions. The first one is The Harder They Fall. This was Netflix's all-black Western featuring just like the most stacked cast, Idris Elba, Regina King, Jonathan Majors, Lakeith Stanfield, Delroy Lindo. And, you know, I said, I love a good action movie. I love watching people shoot guns at each other. This movie was smart and funny, had incredible needle drops, um, and I thought was just really well done. I had a really great time. And the other one, speaking of great times, was Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, which <laughs> I just think... Is like such an underrated comedy from this past year. I just had an absolute blast. And I think that more people should check this film out. It's on Hulu and it's just so much fun. And if you're like me and you just want to have a good time with the movies, this is the one for you. Great song in that movie as well. Amanda, what are some honorable mentions you have? 
So I've already kind of touched on my honorable mentions because they made a couple of lists, but Come On, Come On and Power of the Dog were the the two I really was debating where to put um, and just didn't make the five. Uh, we cited some of these performances as well, but Amanda, we want to get started on like maybe some of your favorite performances of the year. Yeah, so I thought we just touched on it, but Dev Patel in The Green Knight was absolutely incredible. He has been in Oscar uh, award-winning movies before, but I feel like people had kind of forgotten how good of a leading man he is. Um, also, just like Dev Patel is hot, Hive really had a great year. Yes, um, absolutely. And this is also a movie I saw on a date, <laughs> which is an odd movie to see. But um, I think people should go see more weird movies on dates. That's my opinion. Another person who also looked hot as hell this year in a movie, which is not the reason why I put her, but it definitely helps, is uh, The Love of Zack's Life, Florence Pugh in Black Widow. <laughs> Hell yeah. uh, this movie was generally okay, and I thought she was the clear standout, far and away star of this film. And then Jesse Plemons in Power of the Dog. I will ride for Jesse Plemons till the day I die. He had a performance that I feel like would have gone to someone like Philip Seymour Hoffman had this movie been made 20 years ago, and those are extremely big shoes to fill. And I thought that he just crushed it. And um, yeah, Jesse Plemons can really do anything, but he was very subtle, but powerful in this uh, role in Power of the Dog. At what point in the production of Black Widow did Scarlett Johansson realize that this was not going to be her movie? The moment Florence Pugh is like, why do you do that pose? That was, it was over. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is early in the movie, unfortunately for her. Moving on to our more favorite performances. I had already cited Sanaya Sidney and Demi Singleton and King Richard. Again, that role can go so wrong and they do so good of a justice to the Williams sisters and the way that they approach tennis and play tennis and the emotional weight in that movie. I also just enjoyed Andrew Garfield in 2021. There was a movie mainstream that he was in um, and the eyes of Tammy Faye. He, he just keeps making these big swings with his career and it continues to be interesting even if it doesn't work out. If like on a good to evil, not like genuinely evil, but like just vibe spectrum, I feel like he's the good side of Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> like just the way they, just the roles no. they go after and the and the approach they go, like in the roles they take, I, like there are two sides of a coin and I don't think Andrew Garfield's ever going to have like a song written about him. He's just going to keep doing interviews about how he misses Emma Stone. I feel like we could do a whole separate podcast <laughs> just just comparing Andrew Garfield to Jake Donnell. Uh Lastly, and I know this is uh, one that's a soft spot for potentially all of us and definitely the internets, is um, just wanted to cite Nicole Kidman. Not in a movie, but in the AMC spot. Loving how much she loves theaters. How much she loves movies that transport you to a different place, such as the movies they put in the ad before every AMC movie, like Creed and Jurassic World and La La Land. La La Land. The classics. I mean, to me, they're classics. But um, before I watch every movie, because I often go to an AMC theater, uh, it's the closest one to me, I get to see Nicole Kidman. And so she has been potentially the most consistent presence on screen for me in 2021. Nicole Kidman has given me permission to cry in the movies before every film I've seen this year. And I really appreciate that. Uh, Maya, what was one of your favorite performances of 2021? I mean, I'm I'm giving 2021 to our guy Timothy Chalamet. I think I saw him. I saw him in three 2021 releases this year: Dune, The French Dispatch, and Don't Look Up. Um, I also watched Lady Bird for the first time this year. Um, so this has just been the year for me where I finally am fully in on Timmy. 
he's amazing. And I mean, his appearances and press junkets and everything this year have also been great. I just think he's the best. That's hella tight. That's hella tight. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to say it first. (laughs) We should host a podcast. Suck. Yule was my favorite character of the year, by the way. Can I be vulnerable in your car? <laughs> Please. I kind of want a bumper sticker that says that. Someone call Super Yaki. They should make it. Yes. yes. You, Maya, call Super Yaki. They should make it. Um, all right. Next category is a category that I think should be an Oscar category but whatever um it's uh favorite scene of the year maya once you start kick us off my favorite scene of the year is the like eight minutes out of almost three hours of no time to die that Ana de armis shows up absolutely she is so winning she's so charming i think i was like grinning ear to ear under my mask the whole way through it she was so good and i like came out of that movie and like my main thought was like oh, that girl is a movie star. She's just, she's so charismatic. She completely steals the scene. Again, her eight minutes is all action and kicking and punching and she kicks ass at it. She, you know, drinks a cocktail with James Bond. She's holding her own with Daniel Craig and she's just so good. And I'm, I want to see her do more stuff like this. Like I loved her in Knives Out, obviously, but this was so different from that. This was so fun. She's smiling, she's laughing. She's like cute and innocent and bubbly. And it was just like so great, like genuinely so good. And I um, am now obsessed with her. When she picked up the machine gun and then just like, and then took a shot, I I, I think I might have said under my mask, like, fuck yes. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I absolutely went into no time to die thinking that she was the Bond girl of this film. Because everyone was like, this movie that features Daniel Craig and Anna Darmus. And I was like, yeah, she had second billing on this film. Like shout out to her and her agent also for making that happen. And then she's actually only in it for eight minutes. I can't tell if this movie has not enough Anna Darmus or just enough where like that was the most like efficient way they could have used her and like for us to enjoy her release deep water. That's all I have to say to that. Zach, what were your favorite scenes of the year? We talked about it a little bit, but there's an audition scene in Coda. You will sob. Also wanted to cite the scene where Sly and the Family Stone show up in the documentary Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Cannot Be Televised. It's Questlove's documentary about the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, also known as Black Woodstock. Incredible archival footage. When Sly and the Family Stone show up on stage, um, their unique presence and like quirkiness, uh, it's a moment that's captured really well in documentary and for people who were there in the crowd that night or that day. Um, so yeah, shout out to Sly and the Family Stone. Uh, also wanted to shout out the bus fight scene in Shang Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings. Simu oh, Liu yeah. like really does great in throwing himself into like action stardom with this scene. It's obviously like a big scene that owes a lot to like Jackie Chan movies and Jet Li movies. Probably the best hand to hand action movie in the MCU since Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Um, so I just wanted to make sure to to shout that out and just a shout out to Tony Lin, who was not in the scene, but just. He's in the movie and I love him. I was just talking about that scene um, with my friend Julia literally today because it's just, it's that good and it's worth talking about all the time. Absolutely. Amanda, what are some scenes that you loved? The scream therapy scene toward the end of Come On, Come On between um, the kid and the uncle. Oh, yeah, yeah. So good. 
Um, this movie, Maya, has a lot of gentle parenting, which is a very like our generation of parents is really doing a lot of gentle parenting, which I think is admirable and children should be able to express their emotions. But toward the end, you can tell that the kid is having a hard time just saying like, I'm really upset. And uh, Joaquin Phoenix takes him like into the forest and they just scream like, this is fucked up and I'm mad. And like this kid just like lets it rip. And mm-hmm. I, when I saw it, we had this outline already and I was like, oh, that's my favorite scene of the year. Like instantly, it was really, really good. I hate texting during a movie, but I had to text Zach during this this scene of this movie um, was the few minutes where Adam Driver becomes like a quote unquote like commoner toward the beginning of House of Gucci, um, where he's in like a blue like mechanics jumpsuit and then they spray him with water and then he has sex with Lady Gaga and it takes like four minutes like the whole scene and it's like the hottest thing I've seen all year it's just incredibly great he has these big rim glasses through the whole movie makes me want to kiss him it's so excellent um love that movie the French Dispatch my man Wes Anderson came out with a movie this year I we can't go the whole thing without talking about it. I think it is the most Wes and the least plot movie he's ever made. It is equal to Licorice Pizza to me where I don't know if the movie isn't what I wanted or just I held it. I was so excited that I don't know how anything would ever like um, meet those expectations. But the second vignette with Leah Sedu and Vinicio del Toro with The Tortured Artist, I want like a whole movie just about that was so so good and then the 96,000 scene and in the heights I think it was the the scene that perfectly encapsulated like what big scale movie musicals can be how they took like such an exciting part of the stage production and altered it with like what you can do in a movie I thought it was really um, exciting and got me really going I was the only person in my theater when I saw this movie so I got to sing through the whole thing uh, which was great (laughs) and that scene just I watch it on YouTube every so often. So those are some of the scenes that I think fondly on this year. If you've listened to Blind Spotters, you know Amanda loves a movie musical. So we're moving on to biggest surprise now. Um I'm I'm gonna start it off with the movie Pig, starring one Nicolas Cage. Also stars Alex Wolf of Naked Brothers Band Fame. Um this is uh written and directed by Michael Sardinowski and it's just a movie that I had no expectations for and so I watched it on a plane. And it is a movie that has some like genuine meditative vibes to it. It's a very still movie and a very beautiful movie. And it, it's a performance from Nicolas Cage that I don't think we've seen in a long time. And it's a performance I didn't know he still had in him. It probably is the best food movie of the year, which I can always appreciate. Mm-hmm. And so it's also like 90 minutes. So uh, I had low expectations or no expectations. And I was incredibly impressed by it. It was probably one of my favorite movies of the year. Maya, what about you? What is what was your biggest surprise of the year? Uh, my biggest surprise of the year was Jodie Comer in The Last Duel. Yes. I have not seen Killing Eve. So this was like my introduction to Jodie Comer. And Jodie Comer was so good in that film. And I am just so excited to like now watch everything she's ever done. And I'm excited to see everything that's coming next because Mm -hmm. she just blew me away in a movie that's full of like real heavy hitters, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Adam Driver, who we obviously all love. And she comes out on top. She's by far like just gives the best performance in that film. And I thought she was incredible. Absolutely. Amanda, what about you? So we touched a a little bit on Alana Haim. Uh, Just someone 
could she act or is she friends with PTA? Let's find out. And she crushed it. But I recently checked out Nightmare Alley per the uh, suggestion of one of our favorite podcasters. And this is a movie where it would, the, the trailer would play in the theaters before a movie. And I would literally say, ugh, <laughs> like this movie looks terrible. <laughs> it's like a lot of actors in a movie that, you know, like every year there's just like one movie that has like every actor you know. And you're like, why did anyone make this movie? And why did all these people agree to be in this movie? It's not any good. I was <laughs> expecting Nightmare Alley to be that movie. And I had a great time. Uh, Zach, you actually might appreciate it more having just recently watched Big Fish. There is like sort of like this like a guy moving along in his timeline on all of the characters that he meets, including a whole section of Carnies. Um, But it was really good. And there were a lot of great actors in it. And I love Toni Collette. She played a really fun like gypsy like mind reading woman. It was, it was pretty solid. I texted our group. I think it's the hottest uh, Bradley Cooper may have ever been in a movie, which is pretty great. So Nightmare Alley. It's a fun hang. Go see it on like a Friday night when you got nothing to do. We were closing out pretty quickly, but uh, there's a lot of movies out there, a lot of time that we don't have. But uh, what are some movies that you are anticipating that have come out this year or are coming out that are going to be in this like Oscar cycle and haven't got a chance to see yet? Uh, Maya, let's start with you. You know, the end of 2021 included a ton of movie releases and also uh, was the holidays. Uh, so I was spending time with my family and it also involved, you know, a, a new scary variant and surge of uh, yes. COVID. So I was staying out of movie theaters. So, I mean, mainly I'm just highly anticipating all the things that I missed in November and December, including a lot of the movies you guys talked about, like Whippers Pizza, West Side Story, Come On, Come On. I really want to see House of Gucci. And I'm also really looking forward to The Tragedy of Macbeth, which I believe is hitting Apple TV Plus in the next couple of weeks. Um, I love Shakespeare. Can't go wrong with Coen Brothers. You can't go wrong with this cast. I'm very excited. Hell yeah. Amanda, what about you? Red Rocket is out. I haven't seen it yet. It's a movie that, again, I watched the trailer and was like, eh, but people have given it extremely good reviews. My sister is actually seeing it right now. And the movie that I wanted to see this year and then got pushed back is Jackass Forever. <laughs> um, I kind of can't wait to see Jackass Forever. Um, I'm going to get my booster and then I'm going to go see Jackass Forever in the theaters. <laughs> what a fun day for you that will be. It'll be great. The side effects don't happen until the next day, so it'll be a great time. Exactly. Zach, I have had the absolute privilege to see one of the movies on your list, and you're going to love it, so I'm excited. Which are the movies you're anticipating? I can't say that I didn't fucking hate you for like three seconds when you said you saw this movie already. I can feel it in our messages. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> uh, so the movie we're talking about is The Worst Person in the World. won't be able to see this until February because I don't know. Let people see your movies. Like, let me just... I will buy the movie. I will buy it for twenty five dollars. I'm very excited to watch that movie, and then also very excited to watch the Souvenir Part Two. Love the Souvenir Part One. I watched that earlier this year for the first time, and cannot wait to see Part Two. Um, I wish I lived in L.A. and New York specifically, so I could have seen it already. But you know, patience is a virtue, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This being Blind Spotters, we also honor movies that we you know just pass us by. There's a lot of content out there. We don't have a lot of time to see everything, so. Um, we also spent, as you heard, a lot of time watching other movies we've never seen before. And so we want to talk about our favorite non-2021 release that we watched for the first time this year. Amanda, let's start with you. Uh, I watched The Favorite with the fucking queen, Olivia Coleman. It also has um, Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz. I think Rachel Weisz is actually 
the standout performance in that movie. Um, I also watched this on a plane, which is probably not the way I should have seen this movie, but I think I've thought about it almost every day since I saw it. Um, the favorite was really fucking good. I'm glad Olivia Coleman won an Oscar for it. Zach, what about you? My favorite was Pride and Prejudice, uh, Joe Wright's 2005 adaptation of the Jane Austen novel. I love this movie ardently. I don't know why nobody told me to watch it sooner. But yeah, this movie rips. I had no idea that it was going to be this good. The filmmaking of it, the acting, the set pieces. I mean, this is shit that people have been saying for probably 16 years at this point. I understand the hand meme now from Matthew McFadyen. Um, I love that I saw him in this movie right before season three of Succession started for reasons that we won't get into because this is not a Succession pod and we, no spoilers here. But Pride and Prejudice fucking rips. What a concept. Maya, what was your favorite non-2022 watch? Yeah. Picking my favorite non-22 watch was way harder than picking my top five for me. Like, I just, That's like, fair. indulge me. I have to run through, like, a couple movies that I just love this year, including Lady Bird, Aaron Brockovich, Sorry to Bother You, Almost Famous, Marie Antoinette, Saw, High Society. So, loved High Society so much, I had to go see it in theaters again. Movies, man. Grace freaking Kelly, man. But I have to be true to myself, and my favorite movie that did not come out in 2021 that i watched for the first time this year i had to go with josie and the pussycats Hell which yeah. is just like the smartest funniest most meta like commentary film i've ever seen i bought two different t-shirts for that movie after i saw it this year which is what ultimately cemented it as the movie i had to mention because i didn't buy merch for anything else <laughs> um it's just it's so good it's so funny it's a great commentary on like consumerism and fandom um, and being a young person um, and as someone who is a young person who spends money and is fans of uh, is a fan of a lot of things that spoke right to me. And uh, it's just it's just so much fun and everyone should watch it. It's a good one. I haven't seen it in a really long time. I think that's a great movie to end our discussion. Guys, we did it. Yeah, we did, we did it. it. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you know, this is a. It's a jam-packed podcast. We'll have everyone's top five on our social medias. So definitely follow the podcast on Instagram at blindspotterspod. Trying to get 100 followers this year. We're at 57. I feel like we can get to 100. Um, So share it, follow. Um, You can always find a new episode of Blind Spotters on the second Tuesday of the month. In January, we're doing feel-good films, some like nice, easy ones to bring you into the new year. So I watched the Tom Hanks classic Big for the first time and Zach watched Big Fish for the first time, which was unintentional. Um, But his second in a uh, Tim Burton has three movies that I think Zach needs to watch feature. Uh, So we're excited about that. Um, You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Blind Spotters, where Zach is firing off just gold every day <laughs> we're all how many how many followers do you think we have on twitter off the top of your head i think 30? Like 30 okay Which let's like let's get to still... 75 by the end of the year follow us on twitter at blind spotters let's get 75 <laughs> followers friends we got low expectations we're gonna skyrocket that's the that's the point Beautiful. you can follow me on socials if you'd like to send me any compliments at amanda luberto zach where can they follow you on socials i am zach Pocklip on twitter you can also follow me on letterbox i'll also probably be like 
hashing out the rest of my top movies of the year list on my medium account at some point i'll probably tweet it out if you want to argue with me i'll probably say that's good for you and i'll keep watching the movies i like um but yeah that's where you can find me maya where can people find you i'm nice and easy i'm at maya petros on instagram and twitter and i have also uh just recently joined letterboxd so you can find me there too i'm excited to start ranking more movies leaving reviews and making lots and lots of lists hell yeah Thank you guys so much again for listening. Share this episode with a friend. Try to watch some of these movies. They're killer. You'll be super prepped for the Oscars in a couple months. And uh, maybe we'll have Maya back. She's been a good guest. She definitely is the uh, the most obvious choice um, for our, our third. Uh, thank you guys so much. And we'll see you later. Happy watching. Bye. Dune. 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 Dune.